Welcome to the Leading Deeply podcast. I'm Dr. Joe Albert, coach, consultant, and teacher interested in storytelling and helping people thrive. And I'm Dr. Beck Burson, a physician and psychiatrist fascinated by neurons and narratives and how people change. Thanks for joining us at Leading Deeply, a space to get curious how individuals and organizations address the undeniable desire we all have for meaning, purpose, and belonging. We want to know how leaders and those aspiring to lead can engage and animate these human needs to cultivate flourishing. At Horizon Credit Union, community is who we serve, and helping you grow is our goal. Your path is our purpose, and together we can make a positive impact. Whether you're ready for a checking account, a home loan, or a team that cares about your dreams, doing business here does good in the community. Discover the difference and open your account today or find a branch near you at hzcu.org. Horizon Credit Union is an equal housing opportunity lender insured by NCUA. Hey, welcome. Welcome to Leading Deeply. I'm Joe Albert and with me is Dr. Beck Burson. Today our topic is about finding purpose in your work and your life. And uh, we're very excited and honored to have with us uh, internationally known author, act- activist, although he wouldn't call himself that, and an inspirational figure to thousands of people, uh, Father Greg Boyle, founder of Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles, uh, largest gang intervention center in the world. And uh, Beck, are you as excited as I am to have our guest here today? Yeah, I'm really stoked that today we have Father Greg Boyle. It's a big deal having somebody who has such a rich context of how purpose has shown up in his life through the work that he does and the love that he gives to others. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say about purpose and how it relates to these other topics of meaning and belonging. Yeah, this is wonderful. And Briefly, the introduction is, is uh, Greg is a native of, of Los Angeles. Um, he was a parish priest at Dolores Mission in Boyle Heights from 1986 to 1992. Uh, then really the gang epicenter in, in the world, quite honestly. Um, he got very involved in, in uh, the gang violence and becoming aware of, of just the, the tragic nature of the consequences of gang and gang work and uh uh and and the impact it was having on the community so in 1988 they began what would eventually become homeboy industries uh since then greg has authored a few books 2010 the new york times bestseller tattoos on the heart the power of boundless compassion just a, a remarkable book uh barking to the choir come out in 2017 Power Radical Kinship, and The Whole Language, The Power of Extravagant Tenderness in 2021. Uh, 2014, President Obama named Greg a champion of change. And uh, since then, he's been uh, brought into the California Hall of Fame, actually, is quite remarkable. And I'll have another book forthcoming that I'll talk about uh, in our interview today. So without further ado, um, Greg, it is a real pleasure to have you here, and uh, thank you for joining sure. us. Yeah, Greg, you know, it, it's fascinating to me, and I, I went through your books again, and, and when for you, uh, Bolivia was really a pretty transformative experience, I think, and, and then 
you came and you were a pastor at Dolores Mission for about six years or so. And there's this growing sort of activist action orientation to your ministry, I think. And was there a, a point when it shifted for you when the awareness was such that you had to do something? Yeah, I never, I never think in terms of uh, activism, for example. I know, I know some friends who identify themselves as activists and I, and I couldn't imagine doing it, you know, because it's, it's, because if I'm an activist, it's about me. Mm. But um, if you're kind of just responding in the place where you are, then the hope is that it becomes about us. Mm. So um, I never, people come into our headquarters here where I currently am in Chinatown and they um they go well how did you think this up and the truth is nobody thinks this stuff up you know you put one foot in front of the next you evolve you you back your way into stuff so we're always uh all of us here we're responding to the thing that's right in front of us so that's kind of how this grew i mean if if my parish hadn't been um, you know, the place of the highest concentration of gang activity in the world, then I probably wouldn't 40 years later, you know, be saddled with gang, you know, working with gang members. So, but it was all about, you know, just responding to things that are right in front of you. N namely, in those days, you know, the decade of death, people getting, kids getting killed. Yeah. So... Uh, but it was never a kind of thing, or I think I'd like to be an activist, or I'd like to kind of even grapple with an issue, you know, and uh, because the first two years that I was pastor, you know, the gang violence was not a thing. But, you know, people, families who were being separated because of immigration. So, so we had you know, we did a lot of things. We protested, we chained ourselves to this cage where they were deporting people. So we did a lot of things, but it was all responsive to not so much issues, but things that were actually happening happening in our community where, where there was family separation and there were uh, INS in those days, they called it INS um, raids and people were being taken from factories and yeah. Those were my parishioners. So the first two years were kind of focused on that. If if it had been something else, then I think we would have focused on whatever issue had presented itself. So yeah. oh, that makes sense. That's helpful, actually. And yeah, one of the things I've noticed, and, and this has been with me for a few years now, and just a, an awareness, because um, you talk about standing with people that are marginalized, standing with them on the margins. And so those lines get erased in a sense. And one of the things you do, I think, at least for me, to accomplish that is storytelling. And um, you're always humanizing people through your stories. And I watched another couple of videos this morning of you speaking. And you bring people, you bring people to life, you know, and um, through those, you humanize people. And, and I, I've had that my wife, of course, and, um, and I've had the absolute honor of having you bring homeboys into our home and I remember 
I think it was uh, Bobby or Mario just said, so this is how white guys live. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's true, you know. Right. You always tell these stories that, that sort of humanize the individual. So you can't demonize somebody once you get to know their story. And that's, that's always been a powerful part, to me at least, of, of your message to others, you know. Well, it's also if you're not telling stories, people aren't listening. So then it's all content and it's not context. And mm-hmm. uh, even uh, that comes from preaching where you look out there and if you said, don't tell one story, don't say anything funny, don't have <laughs> one poetic image, and you will have the entire congregation absolutely knocked out dead asleep. But the minute you say, you know, this happened the other day, a guy came in, and all of a sudden, they're all, everybody's attentive. So there's a kind of uh, utilitarian piece of it, which is how do you get people to listen? And then you you maybe pepper in some content. You know, what if we were to choose as a society to, instead of punishing wound, what if we healed wound? And then there's your content, but they're not going to stay with you very long unless you you're, you couch it in stories. Plus, hearing homies tell their own stories, uh, sometimes they're a stranger to, their, to themselves, so it takes a while. You know, they'll, uh, they'll say some things, but they will really keep, they won't say things that are quite key. Yeah, uh, even though the things they leave out probably explain more than you could imagine so that's happened recently where i've taken homies with me and i know their story because we've talked but then they're reluctant to say it publicly because it's it's too painful and too shameful you know but uh but it's a good exercise because with each exercise they're inhabiting their own dignity and nobility and, and it wouldn't happen otherwise unless they really got up and, you know, and, and they always get standing ovations because mm. people people admire who they are and what they've had to carry. Yeah, that, that story you told them with Bobby and Mario were up on that visit to Gonzaga is so powerful, you know, and, and, um, and Mario's... Uh, getting up at the end and speaking and the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That was Gonzaga. Yeah, I'll never yeah. forget that. That was just a powerful experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, it was around storytelling, really, you know. And, um, yeah, that was just remarkable. But you've refined that skill in such a way in your writing and your speaking that I, I think we don't see homies anymore as – you know, these evil, awful people. I mean, you start to know them and see their faces. And You know, you know it's interesting about that story because Mario's still working here, and I just saw him right now. But he um, he he gets to that. The question from the woman in the audience was, um, you know, what advice would you give your, your kids? I mean, yeah, because they're teenagers. They're about to enter their teenage years. And... Uh, and he gets very emotional and he says, I, I just don't want them to turn out to be like me. 
And then and the woman says, you know, she gets tearful and she says, why wouldn't you want him to turn out to be like you? You're, you're, you know, you, you're kind, you're gentle, you're wise. I hope your kids turn out to be like you. So once I was in San Francisco with these two homies and I'm telling that story and there's a kid named Joseph who's in the front row. He's one of the homies who came with me. And he's sobbing. He's just sobbing. And and I couldn't believe, you know, why he's being so moved by this. Well, he's Mario's stepson. He was the, the son that he referred to. Uh, and I had totally forgotten because he came to work for us. And I had forgotten that uh, that that this was his stepson. Huh. And here I'm telling this story about Mario who's saying, I just don't want my kids to turn out to be like me. I mean, he was wailing from the front seat, from the front row. And so I, afterwards, I that's when it dawned on me. Oh, my God, I took on this trip, Mario's stepson, and now I'm telling the story. So anyway. Wow, Greg, that's really powerful. And it feels like a synchronous cue to share a story related to a patient. Um, it started several decades ago with a young man who I understand was heavily impacted by gang violence and poverty and trauma, who then fathered a son who was also impacted by those same things and those wounds, who eventually became a patient of mine. And um, he also had a son who was about you know four or five, and he loved his son very much and was afraid the son would turn out like him. And before he knew it, all of the narratives, all of the wounds, all the things he had been um, impacted by growing up were coming out of his mouth towards his son. And he says, Dr. B, I, I can't bother like this. This is, this is awful. And we did a lot of inner wound, inner child work. And, um, you know, what did you need at that time? And what can you give yourself now? And I mean, it was kind of like just transplanting a, a pine tree. Um, to where it had sunlight and water and it's, you know, he got so big and strong. And um, around the time that I, I found out Joe knew you, I was reading one of your books and listening to one of your podcasts. So I tried out a quote from yours and I explained, you know, who it came from. And I, I said, what do you, what are your thoughts on love is the answer? Community is the context. Tenderness is a methodology. And he, he gets really emotional. He says, that, that means a lot to me, especially the tenderness piece. And he goes, but what you don't know that um, really is hitting me is my dad went through that program. He was a homeboy. That's probably the only reason we have a relationship today. So the last time I saw this guy, he says, Dr. B, he did something really impulsive which from my side of the seat, you never know what you're gonna hear. And he said, last week I went to the airport kind of towards the evening and I spent a lot of money on a ticket and I flew to LAX and I called my dad before I got there. I hadn't seen him in a while. And I said, I need you to hold me. And he shows up and his dad thought he was dying. You know, <laughs> he was just like, what? what is going on? And he said, I just need you to hold me. And he said for like almost a, a whole day on the couch, his dad 
just held him and they cried and then they laughed because they thought we look so ridiculous. And he said, it was, it was the bravest, most scariest thing I've ever done. And I just thought, wow, oh. we are all, we are all related. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's amazing. Well, and just, I mean, this idea that we become who we are through story. I, I, I really appreciated how, you know, it, it wasn't this teleological plan of how you were going to do homeboy industries and you executing it. You were just present to what was right in front of you. So many people are in existential crisis right now. And I mean, I experience it every day where they're just saying, you know, what do I do with my life? Where's meaning? What do I, you know, how do I have purpose? But what I hear you saying and what I see you doing is letting yourself be stitched together with people and the light just shines to where the next step is. Could There's you... something about cherishing that that is kind of salvific. It's the thing that leads you into relational wholeness. So homies come here and they and you provide a safe place where they feel seen and then they then they can be cherished. So yeah, homies often because right now we have so many lifers who've done 25, 30 years. And they'll say, you know, I'm used to being watched, but I'm not used to being seen. Mm. And so if it's true, as you know, in, in doing the therapeutic work, that if a traumatized person may well be likely to cause trauma, then it has to be equally true that a cherished person is going to be able to find their way to the joy there is in cherishing themselves and others. And then in terms of like purpose, you're talking about purpose. We don't supply purpose, but we create a kind of environment where people can discover their own purpose, but it comes from being cherished. So, you know, we're not trying to create a behaving community, but a community of cherished belonging. And because that's where the sturdiness comes and the resilience. And then they can excavate their wound and then they can say, oh, I see what this was. And then they can transform their pain so they don't have to transmit it anymore. You know, and then they're, you know, it, it's a, a guy here, Jose, when he was five, his mom was uh, was being beaten down by his dad. And it was just the three of them in the house, but you know, he'd beat her down and she'd fall to the ground and he he's five years old. So he's trying to stop his dad, grabbing him by the leg, pulling him away, leaping on his back. So pretty soon this five-year-old kid is more annoying and and kind of the the focus of the father's ire than the mother was. So he the father goes into the kitchen where there's a big old pot of boiling uh, frijoles, you know, and he grabs potholders and he just dumps the entire contents on his five-year-old boy. And Jose, uh, when he tells the story, everybody just gasps. And then he says, all my skin fell off. And they took him to, uh, you know, the emergency room and the, both parents said, uh, we don't snitch in this family. So I don't know what, what, how did, how do you explain that to the ER? 
But then later on, you know, he uh, was nine and he would go out and sell drugs for his father, pick up drugs, uh, drop off money, that kind of thing. And at 14, he was arrested, sent to juvenile hall. But when he got out, he said, that's it for me. I'm retiring from drug dealing. And the father threw him out of the house and he never came home. And then prison gangs stuff. But anyway, he was here and he was able to get to a place where he he said, I will always be grateful to my father because uh, you know, he taught me how not to be a father to my two boys. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's kind of extraordinary. I mean, it, part of it was there, he had so moved beyond in terms of mercy and forgiveness, but then he was resilient and he was sturdy and but all that kind of percolated in a place where he felt cherished. And uh, and that was kind of the key. And it wasn't just like somebody like me or his therapist. Everybody's delivering a dose. And so he's, you know, receiving it from the security guy here or his navigator or even just another homie who's a trainee with him. So pretty soon he's he's sturdy enough not to be toppled by whatever life throws at him. So anyway, I think the secret sauce is is a culture that cherishes and you know s- systems change when people change and people change when they're cherished. So I think it's uh it's a it's kind of about a place can you create a place you know i never say i've transformed a life but i do say that transformation happens here there's so many verbs you know transformation um cleaning out a wound being moved and you know i know you say we find our true selves in loving the verb of it and this idea that you have to have this solid base of being cherished in order to do the doing. And that's really profound to me. I mean, part like, of it, purpose. part of finding your true self in loving is, um, is also knowing that loving is your home. Mm. And if loving is your home, then you're never homesick. So it's kind of a f- absolutely freeing. It's not about, it's not, a, the Tibetans will say, you know, Wherever you have received the most love, that's home. But my hope here at Homeboy is that people kind of discover that loving, in fact, is their very home. So they they don't have to be here to be at home. They they leave here. And so that wherever they go, you know, they're, they're never they're never homesick because it's it's in fact home is not the place where you've received the most love because it's in the end it's not about receiving love it's about loving being loving so you know and here we it's only 18 months that people are with us although people hang on they become core or maybe senior or they always come back because it's more home than home but the healing is kind of what we call uh, foundational or essential healing. You know, recognizing that for all of us, healing ends in the graveyard. But if you, but there's something essential 
about it. You know, they get their footing. They and and they leave us after 18 months, and the world will throw at them what it will, but they're not going to be toppled now because they're uh you know that's how they're kind of uh resilient in a way they've never been <clears throat> in that in that cherishing do you feel like there is a connection between agency where in being cherished people are able to be empowered to feel like they can do the verbs they can do the loving they can do the excavating they can do life with other people yeah, part of the thing, I, I'm going back and forth uh, uh, recently in discussions with people because, you know, there's the book uh, by Robert Sapolsky about, called Determined, and it's about free will. And it's a very provocative book, but um, but it's about choices. So a lot of times people, you know, even in jails, they'll talk about cognitive behavioral things. Uh, therapy you know again it's it's they do that in jails because i think they just want people to behave but again our goal here is not to have a behaving community but a a community of cherished belonging and so uh so you don't want to uh it's not it's not about behavior behavior is a language behavior's pointing beyond itself to something and so it's kind of the difference. There's the cognitive insight is like the the lone light bulb above your head that goes off. It's like an insight. But healing is like a room flooded with light. Mm. Homies will say, especially if they've done a long time, they go, I left prison with insight, but I didn't find healing until I came here. And and that's a common thing that people say, you know, because it's uh, that's the difference between a lone light bulb or a room flooded with light. And, and that's what you want for people. I mean, we shifted. We're 36 years old now as an organization. But, you know, we were kind of job centered initially. But now we're healing centric. And 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 that's the that's the whole thing here, and and we'll talk to people about uh, you know talk to people about their you know do the work we always say you know you do the work, and some sometimes people it's like a rehab people come back, you know, or we'll say to people come back when you're ready. And we used to fret that people wouldn't come back, but but they come back. In fact, the folks who run the place, you know, our folks, it, it took them like on the fourth try. And then then they were ready. And in the same way that some people go to rehabs, 20 of them, until it doesn't mean they finally found a good rehab. It just meant they're finally ready, you know, to heal. Yeah, I was wondering, Greg, it, it, there's a sense of, of um, and you've mentioned this before, almost like returning people to themselves, you know, and, and, I, and I never thanked you really for doing Deb's, my wife's funeral, but, but uh, the homily, I used that again up in Spokane. We had this 
celebration of life up there. A couple hundred people came. It was really cool. But I showed the homily again. And, and that notion of inheritance, uh, it was just a fascinating concept. If, if you wouldn't mind just explaining that, I mean, in, in your own terms, what, for you, what that means. Uh, I can't remember the inheritance was from a uh, poem, uh, but it, it's about, uh, you know, people being returned to themselves. You know, a lot, a lot of the notion is that somehow people become better people as opposed to just recognizing their unshakable goodness. And, and that's the journey. The journey isn't every day I'm going to be a better person than I was yesterday. I always kind of discourage homies from thinking that way, that it's really, you know, who you are is perfect, you know, and, and, and so the idea is just to become whole and, uh, and that we're all walking each other home uh, to wholeness. Uh, but it's funny, I'm trying to remember what that, what the quote is from inheritance. Or your true your true inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, I mean it, it, it's uh and it's also of course, you know, Deb was able to pull the favor out of people. That was always the so that's kind of the idea too, so that people walk away and they feel favorable because everybody's people you're holding the mirror up and you're returning people to themselves. Whereas society wants to hold the bar up and, and want people to measure up. And I think, you know, God wants to know what's all that, why are you measuring? What's that about? You know, and uh, that's kind of insidious, I think, because especially in nonprofits, it's all about evidence-based outcomes. It's only about measuring, yeah. you know, and, but we kind of are opposed to that here. You know, we're, again, like Mother Teresa says, we're not called to be successful, we're called to be faithful. And that the ultimate measure for society in the world is, well, how successful are you? Even as an individual, are you are you a success at this? And um, yeah. we don't we don't think in those terms, you know. I just say it makes me think about in science, if you can't measure it, it's not there. That's right. But what we're talking about is the interconnectedness between us, which I don't know of a good way to measure. And the way that these stories stitch us together, the way that being a part of a context, a part of an environment helps lay the tracks for purpose. I mean, in Gestalt therapy, they don't talk about try, trying to find a true self, but selfing, you know, it is also a verb and it's, you in contact with the context. And how do you measure that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I think we're at a time in our world, in our country, you know, where we really, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, we're really suffering from a, a mental health crisis, you know? So the Surgeon General who came here, Vivek Murthy, you know, talks about loneliness and and it's uh kind of a, a more of a health issue than anything that we're that we've faced to date and so but his point is not not about being lonely or alone he he says loneliness really is about belonging or not feeling apart and so 
that's why belonging is such a a key thing but we're seeing so much you know kind of crazy thinking and you know how do how do we help people become you know more whole and healthy and uh and you know kind of a flourishing joy where people can really you know be good parents and good mates and and good workers you know what what good is sending somebody to a job if they haven't healed all the wounds you know that's the space you've created there and that's i just i remember when my wife was down there doing her dissertation and the guys would like walk her back to her to hotel you know or they're like you know deb you shouldn't be out here by yourself you know and one day she was leaving and one of them caught up with her and said you know your laptop's sitting out are you gonna leave it there and she oh no i gotta go back and get it i mean it was always like that there was a inclusivity and, and a connectedness that that's fostered i think in that space that's quite remarkable i i just don't know anything like it but it's about the kinship that you speak about and and it's about the storytelling that that you pass along to people and it's a quite remarkable thing and and i think there's so many lessons for us to to kind of learn from that you know and, and that sense of belonging and loneliness we spoke about that in an earlier podcast you know how loneliness is an epidemic i mean in, in the country and people feel disconnected and whether it's at work or whatever it is there's an aloneness there and and i think getting people down to their core and the the kinship um that that, that we do share by the way you know yeah. and, and it's it's really something you, you you all of you have have created there you know but but the idea is to create something that's atmospheric you know that it's an aroma you know and and that's really key otherwise you're the department of motor vehicles you know um yeah. oh you need anger management go to window number 43 you know there's that kind of notion that you want to you don't want to be that that's why you know you're talking about agency you know and people come in here with real compromised agency and so it's not about making better choices because not all choices are created equal but people how can they um you know kind of uh, dismantle a little bit their 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 own compromised agency so that they can be in a place of real power so we do all the things menu of things that everybody does you know anger management parenting classes therapy the list is long but all of it is secondary to the culture to the atmospheric kindness to people feeling truly cherished that's that's the that's the primary work here and then people will get their driver's license or do whatever the heck they need to do whatever concrete thing they need but but the first thing is uh you know how do people feel about themselves and 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 they they carry more than i've ever had to carry so you do have to you know heal the wounds heal the wounds yeah 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 so back any last word before we wrap up well i just i mean obviously appreciate you given the time and i also am really grateful for how you've shifted and furthered my thinking as far as 
how interconnected, not just we are to each other and to our environment, but that these concepts are, you know, meaning is not just like a pool stick hitting a ball of purpose, but belonging is the context. Belonging is where you get the opportunity to be cherished, where you get the opportunity to hear story, where you get the opportunity to transition from feeling like everything is happening to you to feeling like you actually have something you can do and, and be empowered. So I really appreciate you bringing that to light. Yeah. You know, it's a, I have a new book uh, that I'm writing and uh, so I proposed it to uh, my publisher, you know, my editor. And, and so the, the title was a cherished belonging and 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 he he suggested and i love him he's a good man but he said just just have belonging that cherished was kind of too squishy he was saying and i go no actually cherished is a more important word of the two words to say nothing of the fact i went on amazon and the first page were 30 38 books that were titled belonging and so i only went to one page i'm sure there was by the fourth page i'd have 153 books with the same title but there's so, there's something about cherished belonging and then i think he's settled on uh the power of healing love and divided times or something like that so but anyway i mean it's uh but i think cherishing is a different kind of concept you know martin luther king talked about the beloved community but but uh i i was telling him that cherishing is love fully engaged Cherishing is tenderness and action. So there's something about it. You know, they, they, uh, the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we don't love ourselves very well, so it's not a good guide. But I read someone said once, well, then how about love your neighbor as you love your, your child? And that's a whole new ballgame. Suddenly, because the truth is we don't love our kids, we cherish our kids. And and now put that in the sentence of love your neighbor. That's how you do it. That's huge because it it refuses to stay in your head or even in your heart. It makes its way to your feet. That is a great. I know you probably got twenty people lined up outside. Oh, they're all they're all mad dogging me. Like how <laughs> dare you be. On? How dare you be on a Zoom? If if we could just highlight, what are ways that people can support homeboy industries support what you're doing with everybody there oh i don't know just go to our website you know we we always need money we always appreciate people buying our merchandise or our bread or our cookies or whatever <laughs> or hiring people if people are have the power to do that yourself, please. Yeah. hey love you guys stay well i will and thank you, thank so, you much. so much i will thank you hey. yeah Thanks. See you later. What I, I is Greg's always takes you in places that maybe you didn't expect, but then you discover it's at the heart really of, of what you really want to hear about or what you're interested in, you know, and, and um, I, I, yeah, I did have the opportunity years ago to have lunch with Mother Teresa, you know, and I was talking about going to Calcutta because all my friends had gone there and, and done work and stuff and I said, mother, I'm thinking about, you know, and she said, you know, she said the poverty 
you have here in your country is, is as great as it is in mine. And if I would, you know, I, I would advise you to stay where you are and do the work that's right before you and the needs that surround you. And that was really helpful. And in a sense, that's exactly what Greg was talking about is, you know, when, when he was sort of encountered, he encountered this incredible amount of death and, and destruction that gang violence was causing. And he, he engaged with it and addressed it. And, and uh, what a great message and, and great modeling for how to manifest our own purpose in our lives. So I don't know, how for, what, what was it like for you? Yeah, you know, I just think about our listeners and a lot of emerging leaders and leaders and organizations. And um, I felt like Greg, like you said, was getting to the heart of mechanics of getting to purpose, like the tools, like you, ha you have to be cherished, you have to be safe, you have to be heard. And that will empower you to have agency to then stitch into your environment the way purpose can be manifested, but it's not a commodity. It's not something you go to organization A and they give you purpose. No, it's it's where you are in your environment in a way that you're interconnected and listening to your environment. And you know, for our listeners that are in organizations, you know, it's it's not gonna be this 12-step plan of how to arrive at purpose, but this awareness, this listening to the stories, to the people, to the environments that we're creating that culture, that atmosphere, as Greg was talking about, um, that just felt really true. Yeah, yeah. I, one of the things, I, I really like this. He said, people are watched, not seen. And I remember when, um, he brought these guys up and to speak at Gonzaga and they stayed at our house. And then I took the guys out. They had to get some things at the supermarket. So we went to the supermarket, just the two guys and I, Bobby and, and Mario. And um, we walked around and I turned around and there was a security guard walking right behind us the whole way, like at Safeway or something, you know. And, and we got in the car afterwards and I said, so is this what it's, they go, this is what it's always like. We're always being watched. And, and then they stayed at the house for a couple of nights and we said goodbye and they, they just couldn't thank, thank Deb and I enough for our hospitality or whatever it was. They said, this is like amazing, but thank you. And I thought, oh, this is what it's about, about, you know, really, and we really tried to do our best just to host them and make them feel comfortable and everything, you know, and, and they couldn't thank us enough. And, and, you know, it was just like, oh yeah, there's the, that that sort of you know countering of, of being watched but then feeling seen and, and to the best of our ability i think at the time but it was quite powerful and and that's a really helpful thing for me to remember i think when you you know when you work with people yeah you see people do but are they do they feel seen do they feel heard do they feel understood you know and and that's what Greg models i think as much as anybody quite honestly yeah and that it doesn't have to be this complicated experience it's just what's right in front of you yes. like what do you see right in front of you who do you see right in front of you yeah. and that opportunity that's so easy to access well it's like when i was in the hospital I, with a heart failure thing i remember getting to 
getting to know a couple of specialists. One was this guy, Brian, a custodian, and one of the sweetest guys. They always did a great job cleaning my room every morning. And uh, so I, finally I said, so, you know, what's your story? I mean, you know, he had, he was, he had some tattoos on his arms and stuff. And he goes, well, I, I grew up in a gang-infested neighborhood down here. And, you know, my mom was, you know, troubled, and my dad was in and out of prison. So um, gang members started to pressure me to join. And... Um, and I kept resisting, resisting, but at some point it was going to become impossible to do that. So my sister adopted me and I lived, grew up with her until I was 20. And then I met somebody now, I have a daughter and he shows me her picture. But every day after that, Brian would stop at my door. And, and if I was in the bathroom, he goes, Joe, are you in there? I said, yeah, Brian. He goes, all right, I'll wait here. You come out. Okay. <laughs> you know, so every day he would you know, be there when I, when I get out of the bathroom and she said, hi, he goes, I just want you to. To know I, I, you know, that you saw me today. And I'm like, yeah, I see you every day, every day. You know, I never forgot that. That was just a powerful thing. It was a very little thing on my part, but, you know, because, but that's, it was there, you know, so I, I saw him I, in my own my ability, I guess, maybe limited with all the other stuff, but I, I saw him and he never forgot that, you know, and, and that, was, that was right in front of me, you know, and, and, the thing that I just, I don't know, once I heard his story, there was something about hearing his story that he felt seen by me, I think. And that that's something that all of us can do, I think, you know, so, yeah. yeah. Well, and that agency, like we can do it, you know, we can actively choose to be present with what's right in front of us. And I don't know, sometimes you, or at least me, hear <laughs> these interviews or read these books and hear about the amazing things that are going on and you think, oh gosh, I want to be a part of something big. And it's like, no, I think maybe the real message is be a part of something that's right in front of you yes. in a way where you're actually seeing people yeah. and how transformative. And that I don't think you can say, well, I can't be a Greg Boyle. Well, no, nobody can, you know, only Greg can do that, you know, but you do have before you opportunities to, to cherish or see others and, and, you know, whether it's a coworker or whoever it is, you know, those opportunities exist. And, and like you said, the, that sense of agency is something we can access and, and make those things manifest. So, um, yeah, 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 there's so much richness here. Uh, spending time with somebody like Greg, it's amazing. Well, thank you so much for listening today. If you found this conversation engaging, please come back for the next episode. We'll be going back to meaning and looking at clarity of values and we're excited to see what's in store there if you want to go to leading-deeply.com you can also subscribe to a newsletter that will go more in depth on these topics of meaning purpose and belonging we hope you're all well and we look forward to seeing you next time